How sweet it is. Arms were dazzling in the Bronx as the Yankees swept the first place White Sox, making it six straight wins as they inch closer to first place in the AL East. We'll dive into just how dominant the Yankees rotation has been. And Nelly tells us stories of Lou Pinella flipping tables. Our special guest this week is two-time World Series champion Yankees outfielder. It's Mick the Quick, Mickey Rivers. So crack open a six-pack for six straight W's and enjoy a new episode ahead of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion, Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter for updates on the show. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43, and at Jake Brown Radio. Subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you find podcasts. If you're an Apple user, we would appreciate you giving the Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review. Two-time World Series champion Yankees outfielder Mickey Rivers will join us later in the podcast. He's always down there at Yankees Fantasy Camp with our friend Mr. Nelson. And Jeff, we kind of turned the tide the last podcast. We were talking about transferring from the grumpy old men you and I to kind of seeing the Yankees for what they should have been this season. And now they've won six in a row. The Tampa Rays have won 10 in a row. And I seem to remember somebody saying you shouldn't be kicking dirt on the Tampa Bay Rays before the season starts. So they're up there. The Red Sox are up there. The Yankees are right behind. We're in May, but we have a race here in the AL East in the early going, Jeff. Yeah, I was kicking dirt on on Tampa Bay. I know I, I wasn't I wasn't too impressed with what they have. I still am not. I, I think, okay, they're having a good run, but I, I think they're going to wear out their pitching. You know, they have some decent starters, but their pole, bullpen, I think, leads all the baseball in innings pitched, and they usually do anyways because of they're so analytical. I think it's going to wind up happening again and biting them right in the butt, but it is a fun race. But, I, you know, how about the Yankees? I think they've listened to our podcast in the beginning <laughs> of the year when they said they needed a kick in the ass yeah. because they were the best team in, in the American League and they weren't playing like it. So it's, uh, it's a good run. This is what you expected out of them, right? Because when the Dodgers got off to that fast start, you were waxing poetic about saying, hey, this is what I expect out of the Yankees. And now in May, I think they're 16 and five. Uh, this is what we both expected out of this Yankee team. You're right. I expected them to be like the Dodgers when the Dodgers got off to the you know that big start and then all of a sudden they hit a wall. And, and now they're turning it around again. I mean, you, you have that kind of talent. You can't play that poorly. And the Yankees were playing really poorly. They were playing sloppy baseball. They were all over the place. You had question marks about their pitching, especially their starters. And look at their starters, 35 straight scoreless innings by their starting pitching. It's been incredible. 35, well, they had 39 scoreless over 40 innings before Sunday. Just, just one run. You had Cole go out there in the first game of the series against the Rangers, and he gets hit around a lot. And you're saying, oh, boy. Uh, what's this Texas Rangers series going to be? And then Jamison Tyone comes in in the next game 
He gives up four runs, but then finally, Nelly, finally, what we thought would happen all season long with this offense breaking out and saving the pitching sometimes when it needs to, it does just that. They win that game. And then, of course, you get Corey Kluber's no-hitter. Then you have Domingo Herman come in and throw seven scoreless. And then Monty with seven scoreless. And then Cole with seven more shutouts uh, innings against the White Sox. It's been something to watch this team and its pitching staff get out there and get after it. Well, the one thing that now now it's you've gone through the the rotation once and now they're coming back again with Kluber on Tuesday when they face the Blue Jays another good team you know it reminds me a little bit about the start with the starting staff that I was a part of that they were always it always seemed like a friendly competition that okay you you had one time around the rotation and they just wanted to keep it going they wanted okay I'm gonna top you or or okay oh you threw seven shutout I'm gonna throw eight shutout or I'm gonna throw nine shutout so let's see what Kluber does, and let's see if they have that same mentality of saying, okay, I'm going to keep this thing going. Because that's what that's the fun part about baseball. And it's just like the bullpen. I mean, you got guys that throw well, and you want to go in and say, okay, I'm going to do my job. Okay, this guy just struck out the side. I'm going to try to do the same thing. Because you do. It's a competition, but it's a friendly competition. And it's all for the team anyway, but it helps your team win. And the starters are the same way. They say, you know what, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep this scoreless streak going. And they have it. I know Kluber has it in the back of his mind. Okay, 35 innings, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to pass the baton and see who who's next and see what they can do. So it, it is friendly and it's fun. It's a nice competition because it's not going to happen the whole season. But when this run happens, it, it's fun to see. And it's fun within the team and, and also the rotation. You definitely want that competition, not only in your division, not only in the teams you face throughout the season, but also on the team, as, as Nelly, you just said. But I, I have to ask you this, because during these games, you look in the dugout with the pit, with the starters not in the game, they're they're just watching the starter that's in there and they're all together. They're always grouped together. They're always joking. They're laughing. It seems like Garrett Cole is kind of tutoring Jordan Montgomery along with Corey Kluber. Is there anything to that when you have guys who are veterans like those two? Does it trickle down to the rest of these guys? Does it help guys like Jamison Tyone? Does that kind of stuff help Jordan Montgomery? Does it help Domingo Herman to have these guys like Cole and Kluber in that dugout with them? Well, because the starters really don't have any other friends. The regulars don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Both men don't like them, so it's it's one of those things. Is that no. true? No, 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 no. Everybody knows a job. We everybody we were so close knit when we played. It was twenty five guys. I mean, 30, 35 guys, whatever it takes to win a championship. But because of the media level, it, it kind of, it spreads you apart a little bit. But then when you're in a clubhouse and everybody's gone, or you're on the dugout when the media is not around during the game, then you can see the camaraderie that the, that the team has, and that's that's what they have. But when you have someone like Cole. And they feed off of each other. You know, a lot of them have this similar stuff as far as exploding fastballs. I mean, you have Montgomery from the left side, but still he can feed off of Cole and he can say, okay, watch how he goes about his business, but also, okay, what do you do in these counts? What do you do in this situation? You know, it's not all analytical that they're going through the scouting report and say, oh, I got to be a robot and I got to pitch like this. You know, sometimes you got to pitch on feel. And I have seen that, uh, you know, over this last five games with these starters that sometimes they're actually reading the hitters. And, And it's nice to see that they're not just reading and going off a book. But when you have veteran pitchers and you have veteran guys, they all help each other. That, the, the whole thing is a team. I mean, you have to, you don't want to see somebody fail. And it's just like the position players. You don't want to see any of those guys fail either. So when you have some experienced guys, you'll see Judge, you'll see Gardner. They'll go and, you know, they're constantly talking, okay, what does this guy have? Or what's he trying to do? What's his, what's his uh, fastball? Is it moving? Is it straight? Four-seamer, two-seamer? How's that breaking ball look? 
you know, they're always feeding off each other. And it's just like the starters. I mean, when, you know, maybe a guy at the plate saying, you know, he's really sitting on the inside fastball and that's all he's looking for. And I can see it from the dugout. You know, Cole's always watching the game and he's always going up to these starters and saying, hey, look at these guys. So that's going to help the team. And that's what you want. I mean, that's you want that. It's not just joking around when it's not your time to pitch. It's, hey, helping everybody else. Let me bring this up because as a 47-year-old who grew up watching the Yankees, rooting for the Yankees, I had to deal with a lot of Tony La Russa teams. Well, mainly Tony, Tony La Russa A's teams that kicked the Yankees A's uh, when I was growing up. So I I find no better pleasure, Nelly, and I'm sure people my age, younger, older, they get the same satisfaction of sweeping a Tony La Russa team and telling him as he leaves the Bronx to go kick rocks back to Chicago. Yeah, you know, I played against him when he was in Oakland before he went to St. Louis because once the A's started making the playoffs, he was gone already. And, you know, he was in St. Louis winning there. You know, he is an unbelievably smart manager. I went to spring training with the Cardinals in 06, so I got to, I mean, not just watch it across the field, but firsthand. He's a really good manager, and I was glad to see him come back. And, you know, that's just impressed me a little bit more that the Yankees went and swept the White Sox because the White Sox had the best record in the American League before Friday, you know. They were coming in. They were a very good team. I mean, they're missing two of their top position players. But pitching-wise, and their bullpen's a little shaky, but – starters they have very good stars that Rondon is nasty when that that guy from the left side 99 miles an hour I mean he struck out what 11 guys 15 guys total 15 total and I think he had a a 13 yeah yeah I mean it it was uh he he was nasty but yeah anytime that you could beat a La Russa team he's just that good and I think that's why he deserves it I mean he gets that much respect when you're beating a manager like that and they're going to be there they're probably going to win the win the central but yeah, it's uh, it's always special when you when you beat now a Hall of Fame manager. You don't see that too often. Yeah, guys, this was a statement series win and a, and a sweep by by the Yankees after you know when you beat the Orioles and the Rangers and, and you take down the Tigers and the Orioles again and and all these mediocre teams it doesn't say much. But this was at home too. You know the increased capacity now at Yankee Stadium, the vaccinated sections. There's there's stockpiling fans in the building. I'm curious on the Tony Larusa topic. He seems to be a recurring theme in the past past week has there been a manager as hated you guys have watched the game oh, God, been in the I game. Can, can you name like three guys who are hated in terms of a manager as much as him maybe billy martin was a guy i don't know back then if he was hated can by opposing teams and and the fan like the fans hate Larusa, like every other team and some of his own players hate him so i'm curious if there's other controversial managers out there that well they hate know. they hate him because they call he called out mercedes in the media and i think that's why you know nowadays you know back then it wouldn't it wouldn't mattered. I mean, you look at Ozzie Guillen when he was with the White Sox. He called out every single player. That was his thing. You, you, Once you went there, you automatically knew you were going to get thrown under the bus. They had a t-shirt made and I think it was a, a school bus kind of like, Jake, the one you wear with the uh, Mets that you're always constantly promoting. You know, it would be nice if you kind of promoted the pinstripe pod instead of going to <laughs> tip all the time. <laughs> you know, I was telling these these guys, I said, you know, if Figgy ever got lonely, he he could always knock on your door. I mean, you you would be, you're you're right there giving him a big hug. Hey, that t-shirt made it on the MSG Jumbo trial. I I know, exactly. Of course, because you you wear it every single day, just in case (laughs) TMZ comes by. It's free promo. Listen. uh, Oh, look, 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 Figgy, Figgy. (laughs) 
Biggie. I, I, I'll cut his, him out of it. Just put my bald. See, we could get you two on there and be the baldest shirt ever made. Yes, Let, exactly. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. Let's make a pinstripe pod shirt. What's happening? Yeah, I, I think we deserve one. I think that, you know, as far as managers, I, they had a school bus and they had Ozzie Guillen with, uh, in, in the driver's seat and they had all his players underneath the bus. It was. It was a real T-shirt and that's what it was. I mean, you already knew that he was going to throw you under the bus. Nowadays, you can't do that. I mean, these players are way too sensitive. They don't like being talked about in the media and especially from their coaching staff and especially from their manager. And when that happened, look at the outcry throughout baseball. I mean, you had Bauer, you had Lance Lynn, you had everyone saying, oh, how could he do that? You know, when I played, who cares? They did it all the time. There's nothing wrong with pushing buttons in my book. In my my whole entire life, coaches pushed buttons. And that's the way. Now, different players react different ways. If you push buttons, it might shove a guy into the corner and, and he might not do anything. But if you push buttons with somebody else, like, me, I'm going to push everything aside and say, well, screw you. I'm going to go out there and prove you wrong. And that's kind of the way I was my entire life. I don't know how you were, Nelly, and how you reacted to that stuff. But bringing up Gian is perfect. A great job by you. Because if he was managing the White Sox today, he would be destroyed. He would be crucified, crucified for how he treated his players and, and how he managed. But he got results. I mean, that's how he's his main thing is keeping his job and winning. If he ruffles a little feathers here and there, who gives a rat's ass? Yeah, and you know, I played for Lou Pinella. I mean, Joe Torre never did that. That's one thing that he never did. He never threw anybody under the bus. I mean, he called people in his office, and if you weren't doing well or if he questioned you, then that, that's all it went. No, media never found out, and we had 25, 30 guys that couldn't wait to rip people or ask, you know, do something to cause controversy in the paper. Lou Pinella was... He never really called people out in the media, but he never really, he kind of went the back door, I guess, if you want to say, as far as if somebody asked him, oh, what was the deal with that guy? You know, he might go say, go ask him. That's probably the way he would have done it. But you're right. I mean, players are just too sensitive and it just doesn't work now. And it shows. Did Lou or Tori, because I think fans love this, did they have table flipping where sandwiches going flying in the oh, dugout? Oh, not Joe. Joe never did but, that. But Pinella did. Tori did. I mean, uh, Pinella did. Wow. Sandwiches flying like like a scene out of Major League or something. If, oh, yes. I mean, Lou, Lou was... Did he do the, it often, Nelly? Lou or was did... the best. Well, if we lost often, he did. I mean, <laughs> wow. if we played terrible, then he would he would let us know. Let's see. The home clubhouse and the visiting clubhouse knew not to put out the food after the game until <laughs> everyone was in the locker room and he was in his manager's office. If he saw the food out before we came in, nobody's eating, oh, especially well, if we it, lost. It, it's it's going to be interesting because we're going to talk to uh, Mickey Rivers in our next segment. And I have, and, and Pinella grew up on the Yankees with Billy Martin. And, and I would tend to think that Billy was the same kind of way as a manager. So it, it doesn't shock me that Lou, who grew up kind of air quotes with that, would react the same way as well so we'll, we'll have to ask we uh, had here's one here's one real we were in seattle i was playing in seattle and we we lost the game and randy johnson he was i, I it was in the early 90s and the food was put out and the clubhouse guy we were at home and forgot that oh i needed i and he put it out too early we we lost a game late and we didn't play very well and he count he came in and he saw the food and everybody was sitting at their locker. And it's quiet when you lose, obviously. Lou came in, flipped the spread table. And you know those little sterno cups that you that you use to heat the food? Yeah. Uh, those little things that you light? Well, one of them flipped out 
and rolled and started rolling while it was still on fire, rolled right in front of Randy Johnson and right by his running shoes that he had out in front. And all of a sudden, his running shoes started lighting on fire. Oh, my God. And, and, you know, Randy's just sitting there and he's wondering, he says, do I laugh? What's going on? And he had to hurry up and put it out, but it lit his running shoes on fire after it rolled over to his locker. Oh, my God. That's amazing. But Lou was great. I mean, Lou was, I loved playing for him. You just had to, you had to have thick skin and, you know, hopefully we can get him on. And it's, uh, he was, I thought he was a great man. In today's day and age, you'd have a player taking a video of that happening as the, as the fire. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be on Instagram. Well, we didn't have camera yeah. phones back then. Well, it's barely the cellular phones were those things you had to carry in a backpack. They were so big. Yeah. The players are in the clubhouse or in the locker room. I forget the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver who is Antonio Brown. Yeah. Antonio Brown, who was filming himself, taking a selfie video as uh, their head coach was torching the team that they were going to play next oh, week. God in the playoffs and he posted on instagram that's instant bulletin board material for the next week just ridiculous but yeah the thing that strikes me the most about that whole thing that you just mentioned about lou is that after all of that what did he say jake he loved playing for lou Pinella. oh yeah i I absolutely loved it the two best managers i ever played for was lou and joe torrey i mean lou got me ready for new york i mean i threw in every situation possible I came in 3-0 counts, bases loaded, nobody out. I threw three pitches in the bowl. It was funny when I heard somebody a couple years ago say, oh, I only had three pitches, and I had to get, had to go into the game. I'm like, oh, really? You ever played for Lou? Because I've had that many a times. You know, I knew I had to rapid fire as quickly as possible because it wasn't one of those things that you go out and talk to the pitcher and let your bullpen guy. He was so frustrated with the guys that as soon as he stepped out of the dugout, he was pointing to the bullpen. If you weren't up, then you're done. What's one of the – harshest or funniest things he's ever said to you when he came to pull you out of a game that that ever happened like he said something where you were kind of walking back to the dugout either laughing or pissed off well the one when i came he was it was oh one when i came back as a mariner in yankee stadium it actually eased the nerves because old yankee stadium they had 50 some thousand people there and they were right on top of you yeah yeah i think i had to come in to face jeter and tino martinez was in second and he was my teammates but he was my teammate for like the last 12 years and all of a sudden i have 50 some thousand boos when I'm running in. So I just stuck my head and I start laughing and I get to, the, and I, and I look at Tino, Tino's laughing and maybe Bernie was, there. I don't know what, what, I don't know what it was, but, and uh, I get to the mound and uh, he hands me a ball and he says, ah, I see, I see they still love you, son. <laughs> I will never understand that. The guy just wins, helps the team win. Oh, they don't like when you cross the tracks and yeah, go over the other team. It. <laughs> no, go to the Mariners, go back to Seattle. No. Uh, all right. But then uh, when I came back in 03, it was a little bit different. And when I got traded back, then you get 50,000 cheers. All right. He wasn't your teammate, but he is kind of your teammate down at fantasy camp. And that's Mickey Rivers. And when we come back, we will talk to another Yankee great from the 70s. That's right after this. Joining us now, another one of the legendary Yankees from the 1970s. They won two World Series championships in 77 and 78. Mickey Rivers, Mick the Quick. Mick, it's so great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Well, 
it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Let me get started the way I normally get started. Now, you and Nelly were not teammates, but you kind of hang out together down there at fantasy camp. So give me your impressions of my co-host, Jeff Nelson. What do you think of this guy? <laughs> well, only thing I think, I wish I was in that time zone to play with Nelly. Nelly's a great player. And one thing I can say about Nelly and that group he was with, you know, they listen. And, you know, you could tell them, you know, like a lot of guys now, you kind of strung head. I don't blame them now. You know, I come up the same way. But me, knowing Nelly, watching his reaction, been around him, he's very professional. And that's a big key what the older players like. When you tell them something, you know, they take it. And see, they don't have to do it, but see, they take that information and use it to their ability. And what come out of that, then they use the good points out of whatever they could use. And Nelly is one of them. You know, Mickey, the best thing that about Fantasy Camp, not just seeing you guys, but listening to all your stories that you played and, and all the guys that you played with. And, you know, you played in two World Series teams, played with Lou, my manager in, in Seattle. You played with Thurman Munson, Billy Martin as your manager. How much does that mean when you see all the guys that you've played with in fantasy camp and you get you get to reminisce all the all the stories? And I just sit there back and Tanya Sturts, a lot of the young guys, we just sit back and listen. And, and most of the time I'm in awe in all the stories and all the people that you talk about. Oh, you, you know, I think that was the greatest thing. You know, like I taught my textbook knowledge, you know, let's listen to not only my group, you know, I, like I said, and, you know, I'm mixing it with that coach, you know, because I had Yogi Barrow, you know, I had Mount Cummins, I had the man. Them, it, it come and it, we see the different action like we did with y'all. And that was the best experience to get the chance to, to be around guys. And, you know, we not only just be around them, you know, we live through them daily. We go to each other's house in the summer, in the winter, stuff like that, and have dinner and, and socialize. So we be around us, I say, year round. We didn't stop having our team players together. And we grow, we grow, we grow, we work hard, we work hard together. And like, you know, I ain't got to tell you nothing different. You know, we grow to love each other. And, and that, that's how you could professionally take You love each other, you work together, and the good things come out of that. Now, Mickey, we just talked in our last segment, and, and Jeff brought up the fact that he was managed by one of your team teammates Lou Pinella with the Mariners and he was telling us how Lou would used to flip over tables with their post-game meals on it so I have to ask you this question did he learn that from Billy Martin oh well I tell you that you talking about but you got to see it that's see that imagine Lou it comes in they want to think about yeah we, we, we used to listen you know, them there too. You charge it, okay, okay, with small fee, okay, you do something crazy, uh, put a dollar in the pot and stuff like that, and Lua crack his bat. He had the, the best swing of them all, you know, and when he missed the pitch, he took the bat and he's on the ground and cracked it. Nobody's saying that. Everybody was just quiet. He comes in, we, he looks, he go back and hide back there. So we get on, we call him a loop. The first thing it is, now, Catfish is a good one. Catfish to go back to him. Oh, that fuck. Look at that swung you had today. And then we start from there. There you go. Everybody jumped in. But if you couldn't take it, you had to get out of there. And that's where we had one of the fine, white, fine, one of the finest players. And if you couldn't take the action with the guy who did you, because like I said, it was a team effort. They get on each and every one and plus the manager comes in. And you know, I got to bring this, you know what our yogi phrases, all his phrases, and everybody used to have a slang phrase. It ain't over till it's over. You, you know, little stuff like that. And no, that was the greatest. And Lou was the main primary on that team that you wanted to be around. Yeah, I love I loved playing for him, Mickey. Mickey, tell me real quick before I ask you, but ask you uh, about you playing in your career. Tell me the story. Remember you 
told in fantasy camp about the time that you had to get an advance. Like, I think you were in Detroit. You had to get an advance from Mr. Steinbrenner. And uh, you went to steal a base or whatever, and you slid into second. I mean, Munson was the one that hit or hit a, hit a ball in the outfield or whatever. Yeah. I said, well, earlier that day, I said, well, you know, not at the house. And I had somebody there for the kids. And I said, well, I need to get an advance. So the guy brought the, uh, a check down. And I said, well, you know, black people don't like checks. So you better make sure you get that. And that now it was about 15 minutes for the game, 15 minutes for the game. So the guy said, what I'm going to do? So Billy said, ooh, take the check and get it cashed and bring it back to him. I didn't go on that field. I stayed in that clubhouse, gave him pitching. So now the guy come back in there, 7 one running to the field. The team running to the field. They on the field. Gator loosened up, so about Dan Pickett looked around. The guy said, the center field. He waited five more minutes, and I, the guy brought me back the cash. He said, oh, here's the cash right here. You got the cash right here. I said, oh, cash right here. He said, huh, here's the cash. So I ripped it off to my ear. The guy said, oh, you count it? I said, yeah, I count it. <laughs> you, you know what it is? I said, yeah, I know what it is, because I know you were not going to take nothing. So it happened. I put on my shirt, put on my shoes, ran out there, 7.15, game started. Gator waited on me. Now, forgot about the cash. I started playing. Boom. Gator got three outs. Normal. Got three outs and went up the bat. I pointed up there. Steinbrenner box. First pitch. Base it. Boom. Base it. I'm on first base. Willie got up. I tried to steal. Willie hit a line drive for the shortstop. Got back. That brought up Thurman Munson. So I said, I steal on the little fat boy because uh, I know how the fat boy hit. <laughs> so now to the next pitch, I take off. Still in the base. He hit. Boom. Base hit up there in the gap. Hit in the gap. So I slid into the second, and all I was saw was money flying in the air. Money just flopping in there. $100 bills. I got on my knees, started picking up the money because I'm already shot. I got on my knees. So I'm, I'm going around picking up the money. So I look back around there, and I've seen him. And he hollering, run, run, run. I say, I say, no, get down here and help me pick up this money because you see, we it's a bunch of money here. Y'all didn't know it was dumb, dumb. This is a true story. So now he said, no, don't worry about the money. I said, what do you mean, don't worry about the money? He said, I take care of that. I said, well, you still take care of that, and we can still pick up the money and not the field. Go. And what's happened? I scold. I picked up every penny of that money, and I scold. While that ball was in the outfield, I still scold. The summer stayed on stuck in the yard, so I'm just cracking up. He fell out. He couldn't He couldn't take in the run. I'm on nobody to play. And I picked up every penny of that money, and I scold. And he loved me for then. He, uh, the, the, the little fat boy loved me. Then he said, Oh my god, I ain't never seen nothing like this. I ain't never seen no baseball like this before. you learn to play this. And from that day on, Mickey, I remember when uh, Goose, remember, remember they had the bullpen car, or they had that car, and, and Goose was going bad. And you said, and as soon as Goose was coming in, and he was in that car, and you jumped on the front of the car and said, No, we don't want him to come in. Well, we know each night for that first month, we used to bring Goose in the same game, never got a pitch crossed. Every time he come in, boom, base hit, game's over, we lost. Next day, boom, game's over, we lost. I said, oh, my God. But going about two or three weeks, same scenario, boom, bring him in, boom, game's over, we lost. I said, oh, my God. So now we get home. Now I see the gate open, and he's coming in. He's, so I close the gate back. I see the, uh, the ground crew. Ground crew got better drive the car. I, I close the gate back. When he got in the car, I'm peeping through the people of the fence, and the guy looked. Saw the fence closed, and he got out again, come to the fence again, opened the fence up, stayed there by a couple of minutes, and then he ran back to the car, and I closed it again before he got back in the car. So now he, he, he called by three motor guys. Hey, hey, y'all coming on these gates, y'all. I don't know what's wrong. So he, they opened the gate, so they see me walk in the gate, and I look, and I saw Deuce in the car. 
they know about other things. I, we got Pate. I say, oh my God, look at this guy coming in again. No, we can't let him come in again. We need this game. We was up by at least 14 games. Now we're down by at least six or seven. Now I jumped on the car and he's still sitting in the car. He didn't notice me. And I stayed on the car about three minutes, four minutes. The guy couldn't drive. He got out of the car and said, hey, get, get, get out of the car. I said, no, I ain't getting out of the car. He ain't coming in. He got back <laughs> in the car. So he finally got out of the car about another seven or eight minutes. He finally got out of the car. Get out the car here. And then he started to run in. <laughs> he started to run in on the field. And everybody hollering, right. you warming up. You know, Nelly, you come in, you warm up. You get in there, oh, yeah. you warming up. Oh, he, he warming up. You ought to see how he's uh, warming up with the catcher. He ain't hit the gloves yet. He ain't hit the catcher's gloves yet. Everything was this way, that way, this way, that way. I said, what's going on here? He can't even hit the catcher's mitt. You know, I ain't never seen nothing like this. It was amazing. He ain't never hit the catcher's mitt warming up. And then look at him. Hey, just throw anything you can throw. Try to get somebody out. Just broke, bounce the ball in. First batter. Boom, 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 boom. I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, we finally got out of there with about one run. I said, oh, my God. I know. Skip, you can't, you can't let this guy in no more. Man, I, you don't know how to manage. Next inning, he comes back. And I said, oh, my God. He, this is good. And from that day, he pitched. Nobody hit him but George Brett. That consistent that day. He started getting everybody out who he supposed to get out. And it was amazing how that they made that turnaround. After that, a couple of months, well, I ain't never seen nothing like that for what I call months. That was one of the greatest pitchers at the time. And I even had a guy named Kaylor Perry. I seen Kaylor Perry bust one of the guys in, in, the, in the head in the outfield. Because the guy had a, hit, a line, hit a line drive out there and the guy fixed it and he popped him. Boom, what you missed that ball for? Caused me the game. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Nelly know uh, he comes in on both ends. He did both of the sides, and he know it was taking that one to And that's why the team was balanced with team. It wasn't like Nelly them teams, you know, them guys, you know, the all-stars. We had a complete setup, man, and all like that. You know, we had a good thought, like uh, like I said, and that was most important for that in that year. And we had a, a, a team where we got the guys. Major guy from here to there, like they had. Uh, we never, we, we we win every year. They were scared. Every time we go into different parks, every time we go into different parks, oh no, the Yankees coming in. Shoot, this guy's is dead. Put it this way, in a day game, the guy beat the crap out of us. Every time he goes somewhere, and like the team to beat us, the team wasn't doing that. Seattle wasn't doing that at the time. Cleveland, they're not only teams that beat us consistent. Fifteen years in the big leagues, and there's not a player like you around now the way you used to play the game and where you used to run you know you were an all-star in 76 third in mvp voting and you had a heck of a career you know talk a little bit about what you know you playing and and what it meant to you about playing this game and you know just the way you went about things and and stealing bases that you don't see that anymore well well, like I said, you, you, we got the guys. You, you know, I was amazed. But like I said, again, I got to bring back y'all, but the new guys from their own. I, I mean, uh, great bunch of guys. I just sit down here and you talk, and you know these guys. I know these guys will do that. These guys run. Even you had a smaller guy on Bush and his run. I, I was so amazed with the talent that these teams had. Amazing. But the guy always thought, that's it. We got one guy, run. One guy, run, run. One guy could hit. I come up in Back in the 60s frame, starting out, and I, I asked guys, what is a cut for me to do this and do that? I asked guys, pitchers, uh, what pitch I'll be looking for when I cut in a good situation like that. They helped me out. And, and that was amazing about it. You know, I, I wasn't afraid to ask guys because I, I, I wanted to be better and make myself better. 
So I asked, I asked the PA, I jot down a note, and one day, I mean, I'll never forget this, yeah, I'll say this right quick. I was in California with the Angels, and I, was, I had Frank Robinson, Beta Pinson, you know, all the older players was great to play back then. And it, oh, the kid's playing today. So you're afraid. You don't, you don't want to make no mistake when you're talking to them. I asked, and I said, well, what, I'm, what this guy's going to throw? What, don't you look? So he, he jumped on me like, hey, don't you know? Didn't you come out here when he's warming up? Didn't you do this? So, uh, oh, no, I know. So I, next day, I took a pencil and a paper out there, and I sat on the bench with a book, and I said, watch him, take down some notes. And he jumped on me. Kid, what you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking down some notes. I'm watching as you pitch. You were throwing this, this guy, this pitch, and that pitch like that. I'm watching it, what kind of situation it is. Kid, you don't want to do that. And he looked at him, pointed to it in my head. You got to keep this up there. So I, I learned. Murray Wills, come out there. You know that was base runner. Come out there, work with me in the evening. I used to come out there at 12 o'clock, and I worked about 3 o'clock, stealing bases, running, learning how to steal base, learning what you look for. I said, oh, my God because I want to be the best and do the best to help the team to win. So you had to do all the small stuff. If you wanted to be a winner, you had to do all the small stuff. Say we was the best at the time because we had guys to run. But I'd say, okay, we run a ball out. That's the key thing, too. You hit the ball in the infield. And I run. I run harder than I hit the ball in the, in the gap. I run harder. And the guy said, man, you run all. You run like this all the time. And I made a lot of uh, and then. I started making guys make mistakes in the infield. Uh, beat a ball out for air, air boom, air. We end up end up winning a game on it. And the guy said, oh, man, this is amazing. And they said, well, we can't hold the ball. I stopped the guy from holding the ball in the infield. I said, if you hold the ball three seconds in the infield, you know, I'd be on the first. And that's what it was all about. And I learned like that. I learned from different people. I learned from different people. It was scary back then. It was tough. But if you wanted to play ball, if you wanted to do well, you had to do well. And see, everybody said, well, we see Jackie Robinson, so Jackie Robinson, how about Roy Capanel? And, and inspire you from being black. But it's still, say, oh, well, I want to get hit, and I want to still do the work. So I had to put it in the time and the issue. See, if you want to be there, instead of say, uh, uh, live off that. No, I live off the knowledge of what I've been looking, taught. And working there, then you got to do things like that. The five and six year old in me is coming out because that's that's how old I was when you guys were winning those World Series for the Yankees. Every time I've met you, whether it was in the perfect suite or down at fantasy camp, you've been nothing but a gentleman. So the the five year old me is kind of coming out when I talk to you. So th- this is what I have to ask you: When you were growing up, who was the the one guy that you really looked up to? Because you know Jackie broke the color barrier. So who who was the player that you you, you most connected with when you were growing up down in Florida? No, down here in Florida, I, my coach, my coach used to come get me. I, you know, then I, I, one thing I say, I, I hated baseball. I, I thought I was going to play football. I know I went out there, work out with the guys at the Dolphins. Shula had me let me come out there and work out with that time. We had Mer- Mercury Mars and all these guys like that. Jim Kick and all these guys. And I used to work out, you know, go out there and work out them because I really wanted to play football. So coaches, the coach on the school said, uh, as alumni, come, uh, say, well, we'd love for you to come out date and we would love for you to play ball. I said, well, you know, I don't want to play no baseball. So I decided on going to North Carolina EMT to play football. And then back then, they started, I got to get this out right quick, they started red-shirting a lot of the guys. You know, you, you go out, you go out there, and one of the things you do is practice, practice squad. Uh, you had to be very, very good to make that that red, red team at there. And I said, oh, man, I, ain't, I can't play. I see a lot of these guys can't outplay me. So I come back to Florida, and I started playing baseball. And then Warren Tremonti there, 
was the biggest impact. You remember Warren Kamadi? Yes. Warren Kamadi dad was that was the, the biggest impact on me who took me in that time that the kids did this and did that. And that was a big impact on me at the time. And then I got the chance, like I say again, you got a chance to meet the good guy. I went to Atlanta. I, I met not only Hank and his brother, that most who um the third baseman was there. He was there the Atlanta Braves. And I thought he was amazing with the guys, you know. And he used to let the guys say, man, let these kids, these kids are great. These kids are great. And he used to just come out there and watch the guys at the time. All the young guys, me, Dusty Baker, Ralph Scott, Sonny Jackson was a young bunch at that time. I can't think who was the third baseman at the time, but he was most important in my career, too, because he got to talk to the guys. He said, man, these guys could play. They got me. Because, you know, I never went left home. I never left home to play ball until I went to work out with that team. And that was inspiring. Like, again, Juan Cromartie dad, Mr. Cromartie. Took a lot of the black players at Shoulder. And, and, and that's what it took, nearly. You know, see, I went to a school, uh, I would probably go a second or third black and uh, play for that team at the time. But you wanted to play ball. You had to figure out, okay, if you want to play ball, are you still going to stay on that racial balance? You know, a lot of things happen, but but I, I had to overlook that because the friends I had, I had to play with the guys I had to live with. Because one, one time, so, so, so we had to say, we going to have balance. We had to stay at the hotel a day, and you had to find a private sector later uh, that day. I stayed there two days. They said, oh, well, this guy. so the guys got mad. What are you doing to the hotel two days? We couldn't stay at the hotel. We couldn't go to the hotel. The black, we had the black had to stay across the track at the time. They had to find private sectors across the track. So the guy never did this. Sam Ashwood and uh, about three other guys, get us a place. So we got us a big house, six of us, and we lived there. And we had to work together, do everything together. That would have set the growth. So then everybody get mad. We went to a club in Utah, and the guy said, "Oh, the blacks couldn't come in. The blacks just come come in." The guy let let me in the class. So all oh, the guys black guys, two or three, well, three older people. Okay, what are you doing? He, he, what he is he, he going? Uh, Mickey went in, and, and, and that would have touched. So the balance got to okay. We can't go here because now nah, nah, they're gonna do this. But you live through that. You live through that syndrome, and you and you know the difference. You got to be your person to see the difference, to know the difference, to work through the difference. That's the only way you can teach the, the difference. You teach the difference. You don't have up y'all because uh, everything don't go that way or went that way. Yeah, I know what happened a long time ago. But it's that what you got to live in the past, but you grow and you teach the kids history. Okay, that's what happens history. But now you're in a different you're in a different time now. So different. So you trying to but 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 you can't if you don't want to grow, then you won't learn. Mick, you lived through it. You you strived. Uh, you were uh, an inspiration to me and a, a bunch of New York Yankee fans back in the late 70s. You win those two World Series championships. And Nelly and I just want to thank you. God bless you. Uh, keep going. Uh, Mick the Quick, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Can't wait to see you, Mickey. You're incredible, man. Well, thank you. Nelly, I love you. That says goodnight to episode 55, the double nickel Hideki Matsui edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. 
Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mongia for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. We do appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back on Thursday following the first two games of the Yankee series against the Blue Jays. Enjoy the games in the Bronx, and thanks for listening. <laughs>